Welcome to the Writer's Hour, where we have creative conversations with up-and-coming authors on their latest books. This is the place to be if you wish to get a preview of new books that are available for the voracious bibliophile, as well as the story behind the story for the voyeur who wishes a peek behind the creative curtain. Here's your host, Janine Bolin. Well, welcome back. This is Janine Bolin with the Writer's Hour Creative Conversations. And as you know, on this show, we like to bring on authors who are doing unique and wonderful things. Now, as you know, I do not have a judgment on this. I think every book is unique. I think every book is wonderful and exciting. And so I just wanted to say today was kind of fun for me because we have a veteran political journalist by the name of Anne Mouchaud, who, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It's Anne Mouchaud, forgive me, Anne Mouchaud, who is a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. She previously wrote a nationally syndicated open column for Newsday and was twice named Columnist of the Year. She's won more than 25 writing and reporting awards. And one of the things that's cool about today is we're going to be talking about her book and the writing transformation she had to go through to create the book Why They Stay. Now let's talk a little bit about the book itself. Not only has she researched it, but she is researching the women behind some of the most notorious men in the public eye. She discovered this amazing uh, pattern that was just as old as the old dynasties back in medieval England, where women were having to make super bold decisions in the public eye, even more so today than in medieval Europe, um, about security and how to keep their families' history-making potential alive. So her book, Why They Stay, reveals the inner lives of eight political wives as they fight to maintain a grip on power and pursue their own personal ambition. Welcome to the show today, Anne. It's great to have you. Thank you, Janine. It's great to be here. So first of all, I can't wait to read your book. I wasn't able to get to it before this podcast. However, it's happening, mainly because I was really impressed by the number of people that you had. You have Melania Trump, you have Hillary Clinton, Jackie Kennedy. Jackie Kennedy is always fun uh, to study her (laughs) because, you know, where she was, the fact that she was influencing fashion, that was a first during her era. And then Eleanor Roosevelt. Everybody loves Eleanor and they don't realize what that poor woman was going through. And then you have a whole list of others, but talk to us first. Let's let's talk to you about you as a writer, because one of the things is here you are, this amazing writer. You're in the Wall Street Journal. No offense. Why write a book? What was that crazy? (laughs) Tell us that story. To me, that's the the wild one right there. Well, thanks for uh, for saying so. I think. it probably grew out of frustration. I have been a reporter um, for many years. And when you write for uh, different newspapers, that you're always being edited by somebody and someone's always taking your um, creative uh, passions out of, out of the story. I, I remember this one editor, he'd send me home and say, and then he'd uh, cut, cut, cut. Um, so I, uh, you know, it got to be a little bit frustrating and I wanted to do something that I had more ownership over. 
And a book, a book definitely does that, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, you have editors, but it's more of a negotiation at that point. It isn't like your editors just slicing and dicing on your, on your work. And like you said, taking the passion, taking the emotion out of it, that that's another thing that happens a lot for you folks. So I can definitely understand that. So uh, if you don't mind, kind of talk to us a little bit about what was the spark? What was it where you were like, you know, I want to write, write the story. So if you don't mind, what was the story behind your story? Well, I originally started out writing about something more wonky about um, how government can support working families. And um, I met an, an agent that way. She was interested in, in the idea, but we put it out to publishers and it didn't sell. Um, she said, I have another idea. How about since you are writing about all of these people and, and this is happening in real time, we were looking at the governor of um, New York had just, Elliot Spitzer had just quit and um, over a scandal about hiring hookers and um, the uh, Hillary Clinton was talking about looking like she was gonna run for president. And so this was like 2014. And so I said, well, sure, I could look at that. And um, I think the real struggle for me was, was carving out time in my day. I had um, two daughters in their you know, teenage years and um, a full-time job. But I, I really just, it got a hold of me this idea that I would do this. And, and plus we ended up selling the idea to a publisher and then there was a deadline. And so that was another um, incentive. Yeah. So here you are working on a totally different idea about how the government can help. Right. And then the next thing you know, you're in this political arena of these wives of these political figures and you're telling their story which it's been a long time they it's amazing how many presidents we had that very little is known of the first ladies until you hit eleanor until uh-huh. you hit eleanor roosevelt you know and and that's when it became more of uh, a job in and of itself you know where the first lady position kind of came out so talk to us a little bit about here you are working a full-time job. You've got these two daughters that you're trying to get through, you know, puberty, teenage years. Oh my gosh, heart goes out to you. I raised four <laughs> children. I understand that. Uh, so here you are trying to be a mom and you're trying to work full-time and you're nurturing this other child. I always, like Hemingway said, you know, <laughs> nurturing a book is like nurturing a child. So as you move forward with this process then, you have to set up interviews and you have this deadline. Talk to us a little bit about your process. How did you go about, first of all, even getting uh, an audience with these folks? Because they're not people you can just get on Facebook, tag them and say, hey, I want to be your friend. Yeah. Well, I had been doing political reporting for, um, first for a, a business magazine in New York City. I covered uh, city politics and state politics. And, and honestly, every political campaign in, in America, it seems, comes to New York City to raise money. So there was, uh, there are a lot of, uh, a whole cadre of consultants who um, make their business here. And I knew all of them pretty well. I had, you know, established really good relationships with them. And um, so 
that's really, um, I had sort of was swimming in all of this knowledge of how these people make their decisions, um, it, what was happening in real time with um, the Spitzers in particular and uh, Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin. Um, so that was helpful. And also I just um, ended up, as I said before, just um, whenever I was feeling um, frustrated or anything else in my life, I would say, okay, I'm just gonna go pour that into my book. And, uh, and I would do some work on it. The other trick I have, which I'm sure any parent will, um, will relate to is to just get up earlier than everyone else. Yep. Everybody always freaks out when I tell them, yeah, I get up every morning at four o'clock when I'm writing a book and they're like, oh my gosh. I'm like, well, I get up at 4am and I write until the first child woke up. I mean, when my children were, you know, barely able to walk, that was the only way I was able to write. And it's a habit that here I am in my mid fifties, still doing that same habit just because I got into that routine, but I don't write every day. It's when I have a project, that's when I crank it out. So uh -huh. I like to share that with people that I'm not one of, the, one of these everyday writers, uh, but for yourself here, this is your uh, occupation. So you're one of those, we like to call you guys the elite. You're one of those three percent you make a living writing well done for those of all of those of us who are like hacks you know we write books here and there but you know we're not making you know our uh, mortgage payments you know through writing so for that for that we are very grateful that you are here with us today so talk to us a little bit about how you weren't trying to write a tell-all book to destroy people how you really wanted to present in why they stay you just wanted to share with them, look, these people do not live uh, in their political lives. They don't live like you do, you being, you know, whoever the reader is, your life and these people's life are diametrically opposed in certain ways. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I found um, that with these couples, when they were at their decision-making point, when they had their crisis or scandal, um, they've... Uh, would do a lot of the things that um, private couples would do. They, you know, had a lot of heart-to-heart -heart talks. They, um, and I focused on the women. They would sort of make decisions based on, um, you know, whether they, what they felt was good for their children, what they felt was good for their future security. But I think also there were political elements to what they were um, taking into consideration when they decided how they would move forward. Um, I think, you know, for them, they had to come out in, in many cases and make a public statement and acknowledge that this had happened. Not in Eleanor's time or Jackie's time, but they, you know, eventually these, uh, the press started reporting on, uh, on these contretemps and, and um, so they would have to uh, have a press conference or decide whether to go on television or not. Um, Hillary Clinton very famously uh, went on uh, 60 Minutes with her husband and said, um, I forgive him, you know, if you don't, don't vote for him. Um, but uh, 
than when Melania Trump had the opportunity to do that when Donald was accused um, of sexual harassment and assault before the election, there was a discussion of uh, maybe he should go on television, talk about it, try to win over the women's vote. And Melania nixed that. She said, not doing it. So. Each each wife to fig- figures out for not only themselves, but for the security and safety of their family. That was the other thing that I really liked about what you were t- sharing with me about the book was that you can actually see where each woman was looking at it differently than what you were used to seeing men, which is they're thinking multi-generationally. That was the thing that was really neat about what you were bringing out and how they they were deciding, okay, is this something I want to go head to head with like Uma Abedin? Or do I want to just go along with what people are thinking of my husband and make my own path like Eleanor did? I mean, Eleanor is incredibly famous for that. People didn't know the why until, you know, 40 years later when some of her diaries were allowed out into the Uh public, right? You know, but uh, nowadays things are so quick. So what are are some advice, what's some advice that you can give authors like myself and others that are listening what advice can you give us about how to set up interviews well? Because it's obvious these people trusted you to tell their side. There's a level of trust. How did you get that from these wonderful people? Well, with a lot of the um, women in question, they didn't talk to me. Um, we had a refusal from Melania, and um, but I did talk to some of the people around the people who are, are the subjects of the book. For example, in the chapter on the Trump couple, I talked to um, Michael Caputo and Roger Stone, who were both longtime advisors of Donald Trump. Um, a, a man, uh, Bart Rossi, who is a political psychologist, and um, other people like that. I think just knowing the material is important. Um, there are people who um, I would say, you know, Roger Stone is one of them who they just, they do talk to the press and you kind of, you see his name all the time, you know that that person is probably going to be a good um, person to reach out to. And I think, um, you know, some of it does depend on you establishing your credentials like you can say look i i've done this much work on something and here's the approach i'm going to take i think if you um if they ask you know could you send me some questions beforehand that's not something we would necessarily do in journalism but i think as an author you know i would i do everything i can to make the other person comfortable So basically having some work that you can show them or examples of this is my, you know, this is what I've done as far as my writing skills Mm -hmm. and this is where I'm headed and here are some questions that helps bring out that sense of trust that is so important because whenever I read books like this, it's like, I know as from being an author myself, I know that probably only 30% of what you have learned actually makes it into the freaking book, right? I mean, there's so much more that you could share but you just you can it doesn't fit with the flow do you want to talk to us a little bit about that the some of those heartbreaking choices you had to make on your content well um 
I have two editions of the book and the first edition had nine um, women. And then when I wanted to include Donald Trump and Melania Trump, I had to cut out two, two chapters and um, put them in. So now the second edition doesn't include two of the chapters. And honestly, one of them was my absolute favorite. <laughs> but I just, it was, um, it was sort of like the same Kennedy era, early 1960s in um, Great Britain, Valerie Hobson and Jack Perfumo. It was sort of dated. And I didn't think that a lot of people had as much um, interest in that. Readers had as much interest in, in that as, as I did. So I just went with what I thought would, uh, would interest people. And the, the point of this was just to not make the book so gosh darn long that nobody would, would pick it up. So. Right. That, that is the thing, the attention span. But, mm -hmm. you know, I quote Hemingway a lot, but I, one of my favorite uh, remembrances of what I was studying when I was learning how to be an author was he's like, if you're going to be an author, you have to learn how to kill your own children. And I didn't quite understand what that was about when he was talking about that until I started having to cut whole chapters out of my book, like you said, that I absolutely loved. I really resonated with it. But my editor was looking at me goes, no one cares, Janine, just you. <laughs> it's painful when we do that. But one of the things I wanted to share with the listeners was the fact that you can sign up for Anne's um, email list. And she only contacts you like once, twice, maybe three times a year. But when she has to cut these chapters out of her books, guess who benefits? You do. If you're on her email list, you can go to her website and she'll tell you that later on. She'll send those out to you so that you can get some of these chapters that she's passionate about that don't make the grade when it comes to the editions of her book that she's working on. And, and for that, people like me go, thank you, Anne. Thank you for doing that for us. Because we love that stuff. We love the way you write. We love what you're doing with that. But if you don't mind, let's chat a little bit about uh, the people that you interviewed and why they stay. You started to notice a pattern that was coming out with all of these political uh, women, especially when it came to the fact that they were having to cope, uh, some of them in their beds, you know, they incredible depression and that sort of thing, but coping to the fact that they were married to a political party, not necessarily a man, you know, that's that's big stuff that most of us don't deal with on a daily basis. So do you mind sharing with us some of the patterns that you as a reporter started to notice that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise? Sure. Um, I ended up collecting my thesis into five traits that I thought I saw, uh, you know, in common among all the women. Um, they tended to have grown up very traditionally with it traditional values in their lives. Um, they sometimes had something um, difficult happen to them as children that made them uh, interested in, in seeking security in marriage. Um, often they had a personal sense of patriotism where they would um, think of what they could do for the country or the state or whatever elective office their um, spouse was holding. Um, they felt a responsibility for their family's emotional health. 
and they had an ambition to build and bequeath a legacy to their children. So I think some of those things um, private women can relate to and other things not so much. It's, it's more about being part of a political couple. But I sort of wrap this up in what I call the, um, the white queen uh, syndrome. Um, and that's a, a reference to Elizabeth Woodville, who was known as the white queen in England in the 1400s in, um, in the, during the War of the Roses. And she was a widow. She had, um, and, and uh, was a member of the minor no nobility, no real uh, money or assets to speak of on her own. She met the king and um, they got married, which was a very unusual thing for a king to do at the time. And um, she ended up, uh, her daughter married Henry VII, which ended the War of the Roses. And um, their line established the Tudor dynasty. And um, so the common thread to me was that um, women now still in political life see this, see marriage as something that um, benefits them in a way that they might not be able to do if they were out on their own. So it definitely is using that very traditional upbringing that they had and their increased need for security that maybe others can live without. They, in their, in their mindset, really needed to embrace that tradition and go about moving into a marriage that may have been less than, uh, well, may have had some lackluster to it. Let's just say that in that way. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing those five traits with us because that was the thing that I was trying to glean from your many um, articles and stuff on it. And I'm looking forward to reading the book to to see those five principles kind of manifest as we go on. But back to you and the actual writing of it. Since you had to do so many interviews with people that were around them or that sort of thing. Did you have to go to a lot of first documents? Were you finding yourself digging around in people's uh, diaries or old letters, or were you able to do most of this online? Kind of talk to us a little bit about your process. Well, um, I probably read um, uh, 400 books and, um, and articles about these people. And um, so there was a lot of that sort of research and some original documents, but, but a lot of it was what had been published already. And I think what I brought to the um, forefront was more of a focus on these very famous people as women, as, as wives. Um, for example, you don't often hear about Jackie Kennedy, though it's been out there for years, that she consulted a physician to ask him about how to keep her husband happy in bed. Um, you don't often hear that um, Eleanor Roosevelt, her parents died when she was very young, 11, I think. and. Um, she went to live with her grandmother and would lock her bedroom door 
because her um, uncles would come in at night. I mean, there are a lot of things that I think people don't talk about because it's very particular to women's experience that I wanted to include in this book. And it's all well-documented. Um, so. Right, because you've done your research. How many of us can say we've read 400 books and articles on people that we're trying to write about? I mean, even our wonderful fiction writers, you know, they may dig around for a while on certain aspects, but eventually you must move on for the pacing of your story. So first of all, thank you for all that research, because as a scholar myself, I, I love that part of actually of writing. I love the stories. Like I said, the story behind the story is often the one that I find incredibly intriguing. It allows me to then read a book like Why They Stay and be excited about, wow, I remember when she was talking about this. You know, I mean, it's, it, to me, it enriches the story to learn more about the effort put behind it. So what, what kind of holds, uh, what things are your future? What are some of the projects? What do you think about for your future? Are you going to continue to just update the book and give us new editions? Or what can we expect from Anne over the next several years? I'm looking for new topics right now. And, um, you know, when an idea excites me, I go and check it out. And then I often find somebody else has written a book about it. So I can't, can't, uh, can't do that. But yeah, I, I was, um, when I published the first edition in 2017 of Why They Stay, I was ready to move on to a different subject and um, everywhere I would go I would speak at libraries or um, other public gatherings and um, people would say to me um, what about Melania and Donald Trump and so I felt like I had to go back and um, and address that because they were such a um, an inflection point in this whole discussion of um uh, marital um, fidelity and um, how a politician relates to the women around him. So that's uh, that was my my uh, thinking on on doing a second edition. However, I would like to um, one thing that I read about um, Elliot Roosevelt, who had five wives. Um, his fourth wife, he tried to have her um, put into a um, mental institution and tried to take her money. And she was wealthy. And um, so I thought, well, that's an interesting um, thing that people do to each other. I would like to kind of poke around in that and see if people have written about it. Um, there's a, a really good book out right now that I'm reading about a woman. Um, I'm not sure her name will come to me. It's The Woman They Couldn't Silence, I think is the name of the book. And it's um, about a woman who was too um, headstrong for her husband in the late 1800s. And he had her committed. And it was also had something to do with money. Um, he, she didn't want to spend money the way he did or something. Uh, you know, there was some fortune she wouldn't agree to. Um, so she was locked up for many years and this book tells her story and I was kind of thinking it might be interesting to look at that um, either as um, an abuse of the mental health system over many years or maybe there's one person who stands out whose story hasn't been told so that 
that's what I'm thinking right now. I love that because it is always a work in progress. Like the next project is always in progress, whether we have a target for it or not, whether, because every, every writer has their thing. So in your case, do you like see your book cover? Like for me, if I have the book cover designed in my head, whether that's how it eventually is or not, is not the point. The point is if I visualize the book cover, I can move forward with the writing, but for you, what is your thing when you, what is your clarifying point of, I can move forward with the writing now? Well, I think it would have to be some sort of internal sense that the story captivates me. Yes. Because if it's, if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to take the, (laughs) you're not going to spend the hours at the keyboard making it happen. Are you? (laughs) And it can be so delightful to be immersed in a, Mm-hmm. you care about. So. It, it is. That's the best part of writing. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, before we wrap up today, let's go back to that chapter that was your absolute favorite that you had to drop out of the, uh, it was in the first edition, but you had to take it out of the second edition because you needed to make space for the Trump dyad. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us a little bit about about that beloved chapter and what it was that you adored so much about that story. Well, I loved that um, the woman in, in the story, Valerie Hodson, was an actress and she was on stage in the original production of The King and I in London. And um, I think she met... Uh, Richard Rogers or Oscar Hammerstein. I think I've got those names right. Anyway, she met one of them and uh, he auditioned her. And um, so she was at this wonderful height of her fame um, on on, uh, the London stage. And she ended up marrying a man who she had been on and off with for many years. And um, he asked her to give up her career for their marriage. He was a member of parliament. Um, I think she had a Down syndrome son from the first marriage and she ended up speaking out for Down syndrome children. One of the very first people to do that in the 60s and created a foundation for them as well. And so I really admired that about her. When he had his scandal, which was um, a dalliance with someone who was said to be a working girl. Um, He uh, lied about it on the floor of parliament and they um, let him go. (laughs) Not sure what what the technical term is for that in England, Um, but um, his, his resignation and disgrace ended up kind of washing off on, on the rest of his party, which was a conservative party. And they um, lost quite a bit in the next election and it turned over to the other party to rule um, the parliament. And I think also, you know, what was so cool about it was that um, in the 60s, this was a point at which the English would say, oh, there's a certain person born to rule. And um, when they saw this scandal for Jack Perfumo and how sort of sordid it was, um, a lot of people from the middle class ended up being able to 
think of a career in politics. And uh, Margaret Thatcher, for example, I think her, her dad owned a grocery store. So there was a whole class element that um, turned over during that time. And I thought that's, those are some reasons why, why I love that chapter. It's kind of like when we find out that the, the father of science, because, you know, I was trained as an analytical biochemist and Michael Faraday is one of those people. He altered uh, science. He became the father of science because up until his day, it was only the aristocracy that had the leisure and Michael Faraday was the one that brought it into an actual occupation. Like it could become an occupation to be a scientist. And so what you're sharing with me is like, this was a similar thing. All of a sudden the middle class says, Oh, I can actually have a shot at being a part of this process. These are huge shifts in thinking that come from unlooked for sources. Isn't it fascinating <laughs> when you start digging at that? It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, Anne, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for your time today. I know how much you uh, have to work and how busy you are. The fact that you took time to be on the Writer's Hour, I really appreciate it. Where can people go to sign up for your, you know, once or twice a year kind of email list so that we can be a part of those beautiful chapters that have to be cut? <laughs> well, thanks, Janine. You can go to my website, annemichaud.com, and if you uh, scroll way down, you'll see um, there's a space to put in your email address, and I'll keep in touch and read every email that people send me. And that's one of the things. And because I have butchered Anne's name, allow me to say to you that to get to her website is Anne, A-N-N-E, and then her last name, Amazon Mango, I-C-H-A-U-D as in David, dot com. Right. And the book that we are talking about today is Why They Stay. But Anne is a very amazingly well-rounded writer, scholar, and author. And I encourage you to sign up to her website. You will learn a lot from her. Thank you again, Anne, for being with us today. Thanks, Janine. It was really a pleasure. And this is the Writer's Hour, Creative Conversations, and we broadcast every Friday. I look forward to seeing you next week when we have yet another author doing amazing work, bringing the light into our rooms. Have a great day today. Thank you for listening to the Writer's Hour. To hear more about the creative conversations that Janine Bolin is sharing with her listeners, please visit JanineBolin.com forward slash guest. Yeah.